2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, if you are brand new with us this morning, my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we started a series a couple weeks ago called That's, That's Life. And the whole premise behind this series and uh, the, the series of messages that we're doing is to kind of deal with this idea that I think develops in a lot of us, which is this, where real life exists, real faith seemingly doesn't exist, right? Many of us go through, show of hands, how many of you have real life happening, right? There's all kinds of stuff that happens in our life. And for many of us, we get frustrated, especially with God, because we think that when we're following Jesus as, as, as Christians, my life should be going awesome, but there's real stuff happening. And so we believe that faith somehow is non-existent in our life. And so this series is actually to help us understand a very simple truth, is that where real life exists, real faith can exist as well. They're not mutually exclusive from each other and second Peter was our launching off scripture where it tells us this that God has given us everything necessary for life and for godliness and so we looked at what that meant for the first couple weeks and now we're dealing with the real life issues right we all have issues come on turn to your neighbor and say you have issues <laughs> turn to your other neighbor and say I'm offended now that's my issue yeah <laughs> We all have issues in life, and so we're going to deal with some of those issues. Throughout this series, we're dealing with all kinds of, of different things, and, uh, and so I want to c- encourage you, if you haven't gotten onto the podcast to get ca- caught up, get caught up, but we're going to continue on with it this morning. Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, is really going to give us the framework of, uh, for our issue that we're going to deal with this morning, and it says this, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained, everybody say he remained. He remained at Jerusalem. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king. I want you to see something this morning. David arose from his couch. Dude was being lazy, okay? He was just chilling. So he arose from his couch and, and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman. How many of you know David's on a bad track right now? Right? And one said, is this not, not Bathsheba? I've always found her name interesting considering she was bathing on a roof. Um, so. <laughs> her name was Bathsheba. I don't know. Don't name your child that. The daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, verse 4. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Really, y'all, what we're seeing is Jerry Springer moment in the Bible. Things went a little bit crazy in David's life. There's a lot happening here. And so this morning, as we continue on in our series, That's Life, I want to speak to you from the subject, Oops, I Did It Again. I played with your heart. As we look at the issue of our failure, come on, would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. God, we take you absolutely seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously this morning. So God, I pray that as we read your word, as we gaze upon your grace, as we experience your presence, Father, I pray that every single one of us would experience a new degree of freedom in our lives that we would leave here hope-filled, that we would leave here knowing that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. God, we love you, and as we deal with the issue of failure, I pray this morning that for those of us who were, this is a very real issue right now in this moment, 
And as we continue through this message this morning, God, I pray that you would help us see that you are with us and for us every single moment of our journey. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on. And everybody shouted. Amen. Come on, everybody shouted. Um, show of hands, how many, people, um, how many people have failed at one point or another in your life? Come on. Like, if you haven't raised your hand, you're lying. So, which technically is a failure. So, <laughs> I win. Um, we've all failed at one point or another. I think, I think if we look around the room this morning, we can all kind of realize that we are in a very common place with each other, all right? So, if anything, we can unify around our failure. And so, we've all failed at one minute or another. I was thinking about a story this week. Um, uh, back in the day, when I was a, a young kid, failure came easy to me. Um, it still does because I'm human. But I remember one particular failure moment, that, like the, the most epic of failures as a, as a young kid. And it happened like this one day. Um, I came into my mom um, and I said, hey, mom, I want, to, uh, I want my friend to come over and play. And she said to me, not today, Jason. I've been planning on cleaning and organizing your room. Okay. This is like four years ago. So For some of you, that's true, actually, so um, stop. But uh, so I went in, and I said, hey, Mom, I want to I have my friend come over and play and, and hang out in our room. And she's like, no, I'm going to clean and organize your room today. And, and so uh, why don't you go over to your friend's house and play? And I was like, Mom, no, I want to I play here. I started arguing with my mom, which many of us know you just don't do that, right? And so we had a little bit of banter back and forth, and, and I, I told my mom, I was like, Mom, no, my friend needs to come over. And she's like, son, listen, he's like, I'm cleaning your room and organizing it. Why are you arguing with me right now? And I'm like, I just want my friend over here. I'm a one-track mind kind of person, so once I'm like there, we're going for it. So we argued back and forth for a little while, and she's like, just go to your friend's house. And I was furious. I was like, fine, I'm going to my friend's house. And I stomped down the stairs, right? And I walked out the door, and I slammed the door as hard as I could. And then I started walking down the street. My bedroom window overlooked the street. We were in a little apartment at the time. And my bedroom was on the second level of the apartment. And, and, and it overlooked the street. And I'm walking down the street. And I'm furious. And in that moment, something rose up in me as a young child that had never risen up before in my entire life. But for some reason, in that moment, everything changed in me. And it snapped. And as I'm walking down the road, I threw my hand up and gave my mom the middle finger. I'm your pastor. <laughs> and I just had it up. Just felt powerful in that moment. I don't know what it was. Felt like it was the only way I could communicate. I wanted my mom to know something. And so I put my finger up in the air and just held it there. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear slam, slam, slam on the window. And I look up to see my mom in the window. She just goes, I'm right there, and I'm in that moment, my life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> and so I strolled in the house and, and uh, walked up there, and she goes, boy, I'm going to spank you till you cry. <laughs> and she did, right? <laughs> she did. Not making commentary on spankings, but she whooped me. <laughs> and it was in that moment I realized, man, what a failure I was. Years later, I had actually come back around to my mom. As a, as a young adult, 20-something years old after I got back from Bible college, and, 
And I told her, I said, you remember that time? I, I was young, really young at the time, but I said, I just want to apologize for you, to you for that. That was, that was horrible. I, sh I should have never done that. And, you know, we laugh about it now. We giggle about it now because it was in my youthfulness. But there was something in that moment that, come on, somebody, rises up in you, and you make a decision. You, you make a choice, and all of a sudden, on the hindsight of it, you think, like, wow, I, just, I just failed. I just messed it up. Come on. Anybody ever failed in here before, <laughs> right? Maybe you didn't flip up your mom, but... We've all failed to one degree or another. And the reality is this. We all mess up. We all mess up. We all fail. We all fall short. In the book of Romans, Paul tells us that we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of, of God. We're all going to mess it up at some point or another. We are all on this journey of life trying to figure it out, trying to wrestle it out, trying to walk in such a manner that pleases God, and we negotiate through life. But for many of us, failure is the thing that we have a hard time with. Come on. It's something that for a lot of us, especially as we pursue Jesus, it messes with our heads, it messes with our hearts, because we don't understand how we can fail and still pursue Jesus, because a lot of us still believe that it's our perfection that earns his love. But we got to understand something, it's not our perfection that earns his love, it's his perfection that bought us, and he simply did it because he loves us. So for those of us who are striving this morning and trying to earn it all and trying to be perfect, stop! Don't do it. Because at some point or another, oops, I did it again. It's going to happen in our lives. Why? Because, well, we're humans. We, we mess up. One author put it this way, the righteousness of God provide, that God provides has its origin in what God did, not what people may accomplish. See, God's done it all. The good news is that we have a Savior, one who, as Paul would go on to say, justified us by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Another way we can look at it is like this. Failure is a detour, not a dead-end street. It's a de you ever been on a detour before? Come on, we live in Utah. We got detours all the time. <laughs> right? But it's not a dead-end street. Failure is a detour, it's not a dead-end street, but here's, here's what I want to submit to us this morning. For many of us, in this place this morning, we simply allow failure to be a dead-end street. We don't allow it to be a detour, we allow it to be a dead-end street. We fail, we mess up, we think it's over, I'm done! Life's over. Now I thought, the minute I put my finger up in the air and my mom saw me, I thought life was over as I know it. But it wasn't over. But many of us might be saying right now, no, no, but Jason, you don't understand my failure. You don't understand the gravity of it. You don't understand the weight of it. You don't understand what's tied up in it. And I may not understand it. I may not know all the details. I might not get it, but God sees it and he knows it. And he still gave his life for you, knowing that every single moment of our lives, it wasn't going to add up and it wasn't going to be perfect, but he still died for you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. Failure is a part of life, but it's not the end. Failure is not falling down, but rather refusing to get back up. I remember when my little girl broke her arm at a skate park, dropping in. We put it that way so it sounds better. <laughs> but I still remember it. She was on there, her little razor, and she goes into this skate park, the one right down the road. Many of you have seen it before. And 
All the kids are up on this high point, and her brother goes up and her little razor, and he jumps down and, and, and rides in. And I'm watching Shiloh, and she's on the edge, and I'm thinking to myself, this is not going to go good. But as a good, good father, I stayed back and let it happen. So mom and I are sitting there watching it and she goes to drop in and she drops in and all of a sudden the, the front wheel gets caught and jerks this way, and locks and she goes over the edge and all I see is hand out like this. And you know what happens when you go full body on this. She stands up and she's crying and mom's like, oh, go, go get her. And I'm running to her as fast as I can. Like and she's midair, I'm already running. And when she stood up, the minute she stood up, I saw her arm was like, oh, this is not good. It's all bent <laughs> this way. It was awesome. <laughs> Months later, I remember driving past the skate park. Justice goes, are we ever going to go to the skate park again, Dad? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. That's a question for Shiloh. <laughs> yeah, Dad, I want to go. I want to go back to the skate park. Some of us need to get that type of spirit in us. Some of us need to, to, to get back up from our failures. Some of us need to realize that, yes, I, I, I failed. Yes, I let my addiction get the best of me again. Yes, I made that mistake. Yes, I snapped in a way I should have. Yes, I did this. Yes, I did that. But you know what? I'm not going to allow it to stop me on this journey. I'm not going to allow it to hold me back from what God has for me. Because you got to understand something about the plan and the purpose of God. Is that it's great. And it's not able to be stopped by you. Because he cannot revoke what he's placed on your life. He will not revoke what he's placed on, on your life. He wants to see you move into everything that he has for you. Don't let failure stop you. So we've got to learn to deal with failure. We've got to learn to deal with our imperfections. And I think this is a message for us in this generation right now. I think this is a message for us who are trying to figure out faith. Many of us are kicking the tires in here right now. Many of us are angry at God because of this issue. Many of us are angry at ourselves because of this issue. But I want to I declare some stuff over your life this morning. That failure doesn't need to stop you from pursuing God. Failure is actually the very thing that causes you to be pulled into his grace in an even greater degree than what you've already experienced. A life without failure, come on somebody listen to this, a life without failure is a life without grace. Did you hear that this morning? So many of us are trying to be perfect through life. We're trying to keep it all together and we wonder why we don't experience God in the way that we want to experience God. And I want to submit to you that it's actually our failure that causes us to realize what God has done in our life and experience the grace that he has for us in our life. See, failure brings us to the foot of the cross. Perfection drives us away from it. Now, wait a second. Does that mean like... I just have full reign to go fail? Is that what we're saying? No, that would be an imbalance in our understanding of his grace because his grace is also sanctifying in nature. In other words, his grace is supposed to change us from glory to glory, day to day. And so when I experience his grace, I go, oh, that's how much you love me, God. And then I have a response to it. And that means I change and I move forward. But we gotta understand some things in order to do that. We gotta understand some things about failure and about moving forward, and that's what I wanna help us out with this morning. So I need everyone to shout number one for me. 
I want to take a look at three truths we must understand about failure in order to walk through it appropriately in our lives. The first one is this, is that we need to understand revision only comes by way of review. Come on, turn to your neighbor this morning and say, review it. Review it. I'm going to make you talk to your neighbor a lot this, this Sunday, so just so you know. Understand that revision only comes by way of review. In other words, we can't rewrite things unless we review things. Come on, how many of you know that the Atlanta Falcons are reviewing some tape this weekend? <laughs> Sorry for all the ATL people in the house, right? The Patriots, they don't do review anything because apparently they are perfect. <laughs> But how many of you know that the coach for an NFL team does not walk into a room and say, hey, we're reviewing no tape because I do not want you to feel bad. Doesn't happen. These teams give themselves to review. Why? Because you can't rewrite what you do not review. And a lot of us are trying to skip past our mistakes. And I'll tell you, in the youthfulness of my preaching, I used to believe that. I used to believe, man, just... Forget the past, forget the mistakes, forget the stuff and move on. And while I understand the heart behind that and the thought process behind that, I've come to realize something about that. We never grow if we just forget it. We never grow if we don't review it. Did you know I listen to my messages every single week? And it's not because I want to hear myself. Trust me, it's annoying. <laughs> I listen to my messages every single week. I review my scriptures and I review my messages every single week. Why? So I can rewrite my skill and ability. So I can look at it and say, how do I get better? How do I communicate better? How do I stop being a goofball so much? How do I, how do, I do this? How do I do that? How do I make sure that we are understanding things? How do I make sure that our church is moving forward? I have to review things. And a lot of us, we don't want to review the past and I get it. Why? Well, because it hurts. But how many of you know that in reviewing what has happened, we can rewrite some things so that it doesn't have to happen again. I know for a lot of us this is painful, but can I tell you something? It may be painful to review, but it's a lot more painful to experience it again. Anybody in church this morning? It may be painful to review it, but it's a lot more painful to experience it again. So, I mean, the reality of this world that we live in now is such that we are moving away from the idea of mistakes and failure as a whole, right? We've redefined things in our culture. To even use the term failure has become offensive, so we simply call it my way of doing things. It's now no longer PC, like it's not PC to say failure or mess up or sin or anything like that. So, yeah, that's just my way of doing things. You do you, boo-boo, I'll do me. But how many of you realize that the things that we do often don't add up to the things that God calls for our life? And so we've got to measure these things. We've got to look at these, these things. Are we talking about being perfect? No, absolutely not. But we are saying, listen, in the grace and the throes of God's love, we don't have to repeat certain things. We don't have to repeat certain things. I told a story a few weeks back of when I crashed my car into our house. Driving a clutch, learning for the first time. Did you know something? I have never wrecked a car into a house ever again. It's never happened. Come on, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Why? Because I quickly learned you don't do that. I learned how to drive clutch. 
Learn how to make sure I could, I could do this again. Why? I had to review some things. And it's the same thing with the things that we face in life, the failures that we experience in life. we got to review some things so that we can move on from some things. And some of us are caught back in the same thing, same thing, same thing, because we're trying to forget it instead of review it so we can revise some stuff in our lives today. Tape review is not meant to shame or belittle or break down, but rather to build up by assessing gaps, mistakes, and failures so that we can learn and get better. And I know it hurts to review, but it hurts more to re-experience. So the first thing that we need to understand about failure is that revision only comes by way of review. Come on, we shout number two this morning. We got to understand that revision only comes by way of responsibility. Revision only comes by way of responsibility. Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 15. So we move on in the story. David sleeps with Bathsheba, gets pregnant, and then goes on a... He doesn't get pregnant. She gets pregnant, just to clarify. Then goes down this spiral of crazy. Like, you think that this was like Jerry Springer from the get-go? It gets worse. So he finds out and knows that, that uh, Bathsheba is married, actually. Her husband's on the front line of the war that David should have been fighting in while he was chilling at home on the couch and on the roof. Her husband is out on the front line fighting the battle that he should have been fighting. And so David gets this grand idea and he says, hey, you know what's going to happen? She's pregnant. I got to cover this thing up. So I'm going to call. I'm going to get Uriah back home and I'm going to give him some reprieve from the battle. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that him and his wife, Bathsheba, they get together and I'm going to get him a little inebriated. And so I know that he's going to then sleep with his wife. And because it's around this same about time, her being pregnant, we cover it all up. Bada boom, bada bing, we good. But it doesn't happen. You want to know why? Because Uriah is honorable. And Uriah says, man, how can I be here and be in the throes of my wife's love when all my brothers are out on the front line in war? He, David didn't realize he's going to be dealing with a man of integrity. And so it gets worse. David then goes, man, this is not going good. This is not going the way. So what I need to do is I need to get Uriah on the front line, get him dead so that I can sweep in and grab her as my wife, and then we'll cover everything up that way. And so David then plots and and makes things happen so that he can get Uriah on the front lines and eventually have him killed. That's the storyline. Then this dude Nathan comes on the scene, and Nathan says to David, you're the man. Not really. There's some context to that. (laughs) Just before 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 15, Nathan tells this story. Call it a parable, if you will. And David's listening to this parable, and David gets so frustrated at this parable because the parable mirrors what David had actually engaged in in his life. And in this, David sees the injustice in it, and he becomes righteously indignant and frustrated about it, and so mad, and he says, man, let's take this guy out. And Nathan says to him, you're the man. You're the guy the story is about. And then he goes on to say, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and into your, um, into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? 
You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And therefore the, sh the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. I know this is a super positive scripture this morning for us. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. David said to Nathan, watch what, watch what David says. After all that, watch what he says. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. The law, the Torah at that moment in time, the standard was David was to be killed because of adultery. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Now I know, I read that piece of scripture because I want to make sure that we have context and I don't leave anything out. That's a whole other message as to how God dealt with things in the Old Testament. Thank God we have Jesus, the great mediator. Come on, the perfect savior that God doesn't deal with this, how he used to deal with things. But we still need to see something here is that David took responsibility for his failure. And that's something that's leaving our generation and our society as a whole. I was at a conference this week and a pastor friend of ours and senior pastor of Hillsong, New York, Carl Lentz, said something in this, in this uh, conference that we were in that was brilliant. And he said this, we need less fingers and more thumbs. Because we're living in a generation that no longer wants to take responsibility for things. I mean, think about how this could have gone in the generation that we live. If this, if this story happened, I could see it right now. King sleeps with wife bathing on another roof. To which David says, she shouldn't have been bathing there. So he gets on Twitter and starts putting her on blast, writes a passive-aggressive blog about it, and says how it was completely her fault, and then starts Instagramming about it, making sure that he looks good in every image, in every way, so that the blame can be shifted and pointed to another person. But what I love about David is that he took responsibility for his stuff. Come on, don't get quiet on me this morning. He took responsibility for his stuff. Have you ever gotten mad at the cop for pulled you over? Some of you, I don't know if I should laugh about that. Should I admit that I got pulled over? Yes, multiple times here, okay? <laughs> but have you ever been pulled over before and then you drive away and I can't believe that cop pulled? You're only angry because you got caught? <laughs> How dare he? Like some grave injustice was placed upon your life because he ticketed you for going 75 and a 20. <laughs> we say things like if his radar wasn't out, <laughs> right? It's amazing. And I think what is, I think there's a beautiful grace upon taking responsibility. There's a beautiful grace upon taking responsibility for our failures. And I think one of the reasons that we don't move beyond our failures is because we're so busy blaming everything else for our failure. Come on, don't get quiet on me, church. <laughs> but if, if we're honest, We've all done it, haven't we? We've all somehow 
put it on somebody else and passed it aside and said, well, that's not my fault, that's not my fault, that's not my fault, there's, there's circumstance, there's this and there's that. But man, the greatest grace and presence of God that we experience in our life is when we actually own up to it. And what I love about David is in this moment, he owns up and he says, man, this wasn't right. I did not do what I was supposed to do. We've got to stop getting mad at God when we experience the natural repercussions of what we decide to do in our lives. I love what Cy Rogers said a couple weeks ago when he was here. He's like, man, God's grace covers a multitude of sins. He, he covers everything. If you were to go jump off a cliff and then pray in this moment, God, please make sure that this doesn't hurt. He's going to say, no, I got your soul for when you're about to arrive here, but splat. <laughs> Why? Because gravity's a law. It's a law. We got to stop running from it. Because there's going to be many moments in our lives where we say, oops, I did it again. But the greatest freedom that you will ever experience in God's grace is when we can actually own up to it and say, God, man, I messed this up. He says, I forgive you. I love you. And then that moment we go back and we review the tape. We see where we went wrong. I mean, think about it. If you're David, go back and review that tape. There's a lot of places David could have, like, adjusted some things. First, he should have went to war. He shouldn't have been home. Right? So the first port of call is David's like, well, every other battle that happens, I need to be out there. Because apparently I do dumb things when I'm bored. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll sink in for some of you in a minute, okay? So David needs to adjust some things and rewrite some things and look at things and go, man, I don't have to relive this again. I don't have to experience this again. But he also has to know and he's got to take ownership of it. What do we need? Here's the challenge this morning. Here's the question for us this morning. What is it that you need to take ownership of this morning? What is it that I need to take ownership of this morning? Can I be really honest with you? There's moments where Eric and I come into church and we're bickering in the car. Why? Because we're human beings, right? So we're having our spat. We're having our little house is crazy. We're trying to get our kids out of the house and to church on time, semi-clothed, like trying to make it all happen. We get in the car and she's frustrated and I'm frustrated because this happened and that happened and she said this and I said that and I wanted to drive one direction when she told me it was faster this way but then, you know, it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to because there was a detour that I didn't realize was there and so now we're arguing about each other because she said if you would have just listened to me then we wouldn't be late to church and you wouldn't be frustrated because we're late at church. Don't yell at the kids! <laughs> Is that just us that have that, that moment in the car? And I get in worship, I put my hands up, and I whisper to God, oops, I did it again. Hopefully she does too. <laughs> I get so trouble after church, it's so bad. And I'll lean over to her. Babe, I'm sorry. Like, that was on me. And we've found this thing that there's great freedom that comes in our life when we apologize to each other, when we take ownership of stuff. Man, I shouldn't have yelled. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. You know, the reason I talk like this as, as, as a pastor is because I want you to know it's real life. That's life. 
We all mess up. Our mess-ups don't stop us from continuing to be everything that God's called us to be. But if you keep on piling them up without taking ownership over them, it'll put a massive roadblock in your life, that's for sure. The third one is this. Come on, everybody shout number three for me. The third thing we need to understand, the last one is this. Understand that revision only comes by way of release. Revision only comes by way of release. In other words, we have to release ourselves from our failures because we are already released from them. Listen to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I love this story, one of my most favorite stories. We've read this a bunch around here, and it says this, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now, a lot of commentators, a lot of scholars look at this piece of scripture, and they actually, they actually believe that when we're looking at this scripture, it is literal, meaning the Pharisees sought this woman out. They knew who she was. They knew what was going on and literally barged into the house that the indiscretion was happening in, pulled her out, and threw her in front of everybody. What's crazy about it is that they don't go after the guy. Just a little side thing. So they put her there and they said, this woman's caught in the act of adultery. Jesus, what do you, what do you say? Now in the law of Moses, verse 5, it commands us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. They didn't care about the woman. They weren't worried about the woman. It was just what they could get Jesus caught up in. Jesus bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground. Man, I would have loved to know what he was writing in that moment. And as they continued to ask him, pester him, come on, what do you say? Shouldn't we kill her? I mean, look at her. She's, she's dirty. She's gross. She's this. She's that. She's failed. She's messed it up. What do you say? And Jesus says probably one of the most famous things he said in the Bible. He says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down. And he wrote on the ground, how about them apples? <laughs> but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now in this moment, many of us think and can believe, man, this is, this is where Jesus is going to get her. He's going to get her. He's going to tell her what a sinner she is and what, what a nasty person she is. Because, come on, that's what Jesus does. He is the pinnacle of religion. And so he's going to say some things to her. He wants to get her. He's going to make sure that she never does this again. And watch what, watch what he says. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Listen, church, our ability to release ourselves from our failures happens because he first released us. He first released us. And some of us in here are walking through life with so much baggage, not because Jesus hasn't moved it and shifted it from our lives, but because we haven't let go of it. We look back at our failures. We look at all the things that are in them. We look at this moment and that moment. We say, man, God, don't you see my life? Don't you see how jacked up it is? Don't you see all the things that are behind me? And Jesus says, no, because when you're in me, I don't see them anymore. I see who I love. I see who I've given grace to. I see who stands righteous before me. I don't see the stuff. I see the one that I love. 
some of us would do well to remember something here. We gotta release ourselves from our failures so that we can step into new moments in Christ because he's released us. And I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what you're going through this morning. But Galatians chapter five, verse one says something very important for us to understand. It says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Come on, how many of you know that the, that the weight of your failures across the course of your life is pretty heavy? But in Christ, we're set free. And he says, don't go back to that. Don't go back to that stuff. Don't go back to the muck and the mire. Don't go back to these things that you failed in. Review the tape. Understand why they've happened. But don't go back to them. Don't let them hold on to you. Come on, let's step into a new future. Let's step into a greater future. Let's not allow failure to define us. And I'll promise you this. It's in that position that we find everything that we need for life and godliness. We're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. I'm going to fail. We're all going to fail. But the question is this. Can we fail forward into the throes of God's grace? Can we fail in a way that brings glory and honor to him? Because we're all going to say, oops, I did it again. The question is, is whether we'll process through it appropriately and not allow it to hinder us from stepping into everything that God has for us. Come on, will you stand to your feet this morning?